There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Tuesday morning, the 28th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. As you know, the President of the EU Commission travelled to the UK yesterday to meet with the British Prime Minister. This afternoon... I welcome President von der Leyen to Windsor to continue our discussions about the Northern Ireland Protocol that we have now made a decisive breakthrough. Together, we have changed the original protocol and are today announcing the new Windsor framework. Today's agreement delivers smooth-flowing trade within the whole United Kingdom, protects Northern Ireland's place in our union and safeguards sovereignty for the people of Northern Ireland. Rishi Sunak. So the Northern Ireland Protocol is being replaced with what is called the Windsor Framework. And leaders believe that they've solved the problems that arose from the UK leaving the EU if a hard border on the island of Ireland was to be avoided. Solutions were needed for the issues around the Protocol on Ireland and Northern Ireland. We knew it was not going to be easy. We knew we needed to listen to each other's concerns very carefully. Above all, we had to listen to the concerns of the people of Northern Ireland. We knew we had to work hard with clear minds and determination, but we also both knew, dear Rishi, that we could do it because we were both genuinely committed to find a practical solution for people and for all communities in Northern Ireland. Today, we can take pride in the fact that we have delivered on that commitment. Ursula von der Leyen happy to deliver a deal with the British government, a deal which will be supported by the opposition. I have been clear for some time that if the Prime Minister were to get an agreement with the EU, 
and if their agreement is in the interests of this country and Northern Ireland, then Labour would support it. And we will stick to our word. We will not snipe. We will not seek to play political games. And when the Prime Minister puts this deal forward for a vote, Labour will support it and vote for it. The protocol will never be perfect. It's a compromise. But I've always been clear that if implemented correctly, it is an agreement that can work in the spirit of the Good Friday Agreement. And now that it has been agreed, we all have an obligation to make it work. The leader of the Labour Party, Keir Starmer, telling the House of Commons yesterday that there will be no objection to this deal from Labour when it comes to a vote. The Brexit poll was won in 2016, since when finding a solution to how Northern Ireland leaves the EU has proven to be elusive. Rishi Sunak is actually the fifth Prime Minister since that referendum. The Northern Ireland Protocol, negotiated and signed by the government in December 2019, adopted the European Union's preferred proposal of a border down the Irish Sea. Can I congratulate my right honourable friend and the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland and the Foreign Secretary and all their teams for all the work they have done to achieve this negotiated settlement, which will make a huge difference. And does my right honourable friend agree with me that the best move now is for everybody across this House to support this settlement because that is what is in the best interests of all the people of Northern Ireland. Prime Minister. There was no disagreement on that point between the former PM Theresa May and the PM Rishi Sunak. I agree with her. What all of us should have at this moment at the top of our minds is the people of Northern Ireland and what is in their interest. And I hope when people have the time and space to consider the Windsor framework that they will see that this is the best way to move forward and build that better future in Northern Ireland. Back at home and the Taoiseach extended congratulations to the negotiators of this deal. Congratulations to President von der Leyen, Prime Minister Sunak and their teams. Our thanks as well to Vice President of the Commission, Mara Sefcovic, who really got to know the people of Northern Ireland and to understand their concerns. His dedicated work is reflected in today's agreement. For our part, the Irish government will do all that we can to make these new arrangements work in the interests of people and enterprises in Northern Ireland, here in the Republic of Ireland, while protecting the European single market, the common travel area between Britain and Ireland, and also the Good Friday Agreement. There is a caveat to all of this, however, because a deal is only a deal when everything is agreed and everyone is agreed to everything. This is where the sticking point could lie. Everyone is relying on the DUP to get this through, and one issue the DUP had with the protocol was the role of the European Court of Justice in Northern Ireland. President von der Leyen explained yesterday that the ECJ will be the ultimate authority. Yes, indeed, the European Court of Justice is the sole and ultimate arbiter of EU law. That's natural because uh, it's prescribed by the EU legal order. So the ECJ will have the final say on EU law and single market issues. And that could make this whole deal unacceptable to the DUP. The hope, however, is that a process called the Stormont Break could offset that concern that the DUP has. We have in this Windsor framework worked hard on the rules that existed before 
not only the ECJ on EU law, but also the arbitration panel on not EU laws. And this includes the new Stormont Break, uh, which is based on the petition of concern that comes from the Good Friday Agreement. So we have built on this peace process the next step. We've kind of leveled up or improved um, the overall mechanism. That's the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen. Let's speak to Karen Coleman, editor with EU News Radio, which covers EU news for Irish radio stations. And a very good morning to you, Karen, and thanks indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Obviously, this is huge news here, huge news in Northern Ireland, huge news in the United Kingdom for that matter, but it's also very big news right across Europe. Or, or is this the last attempt at striking a deal with the British government is it uh, this deal or no deal, in other words? Well, I would say this is a very significant achievement, Michael. Um, when I heard the details yesterday and when I heard they were now calling it the Windsor framework, I thought, well, this is an example of very good work going on that has been going on in secret um, behind uh, closed doors for the last several weeks to work out the final details very clever saying that, we, you know, it's no longer the Northern Ireland Protocol. We now have the Windsor framework, which, of course, would have worked well with one of the key demands of the DUP that the Northern Ireland Protocol be scrapped. Um, I think they have uh, the Commission, the European Union, has significantly shifted on, on some of the very key areas of concern for particularly those communities in Northern Ireland that were very much against some of the red tape that had been imposed on them. Is it the final deal? Well, I would say yes. I mean, I think, you know, the fact that the British Prime Minister has has decided that this is the new deal, they're hailing it as a victory. We're not really hearing very much from the hardline Brexiteers who were against it. They sort of seem to be accepting it. Uh, there'll be always a few who won't agree with it. Um, but I would think a significant achievement. And as you say, the ball is really in the court of the DUP now. And, um, you know, we've been hearing this morning from Jeffrey Donaldson. He needs time. He says they all need time to study this. A couple of them have been coming out against it. But, you know, he's saying they need time. <clears throat> it's a legal agreement. It has to be studied. So it'll be very interesting to see what their final read in it and taken it will be when they have studied this, you know, 400 plus page legal document. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we'll hear later some of the comments uh, from uh, the House of Commons made by DUP members, uh, but there seems to be some cynicism with Ian Paisley, uh, Sammy Wilson uh, and indeed Gregory Campbell for that matter. Uh, and I, I take it uh, that the DUP won't be too quick to come to a decision on this. No, they're going to take... Maybe several weeks um, mightn't take as long as that. Um, you know, they're going to get their lawyers in um, and they're going to scrutinise this very carefully. I mean, interestingly, this morning I heard uh, Jeffrey Donaldson and RT talking about, you know, it's not the case that the ECJ wasn't an issue for them, the European Court of Justice, and this issue about EU influence on Northern Ireland law that might affect trade between Northern Ireland and Britain. Um, being an issue. So they're going to look very carefully through this document um, and I would suspect this dormant break is going to be interesting in terms of how they interpret the legal text on that and to what extent 
would it give, we'll say, the unionists um, a sway over any potential EU laws that they're not happy about. But they'll take their time. I would also say, you know, think they're going to read the tea leaves from the House of Commons um, and the rest of the politicians there, particularly the Brexiteers and the Eurosceptics, mm. and see whether, you know, to what extent will uh, a significant number of them come out against it. If the real hardliners start to accept it, then if the DUP is the only party or its its members the only um, politicians against it, then that's going to make them part of a very lonely club. So, you know, I think they'll read the text of the framework, this new Windsor framework, but also they'll presumably be judging how it's going down in the rest of the UK as well. Mm, and it wouldn't give the DUP a, a veto over European law, would it? Uh, because it would need cross-community support. Uh, there would have to be an equal amount of nationalists who would agree with uh, op- opposing whatever uh, the proposal was. Then that would go to the UK government, which could then impose a, a veto if it, it so chose to. Well, I don't. you see, I'm not sure about that. Um, Michael and I think and I haven't read the text at all yet I have to, in terms of the real legal aspect of it and what it means for this Stormont break because and you played the clip of Ursula von der Leyen talking about the Stormont break yesterday she said it was based on the petition of concern that was based on the Good Friday Agreement now that calls for a cross-party involvement and a cross-party vote presumably I'm not sure the DUP interpret it like that and whether they see it as purely requiring 30 um, members of the Northern Ireland Assembly to to veto EU law or to raise an objection to any imposition of EU law that they are not happy about. And of course, you know, they could arguably between the DUP um, and the UUP, they could get, if all of them are voting, they could get more than the 30 votes Mm. or whether it requires cross-party support which would mean there would have to be nationalists yeah. voting as well. And Fifteen I think from each side. We're, yeah. yeah, this mm. is what we're unclear about. And so I think this is where scrutiny of the legal text is is going to be very important. Is it going to be based on the petition of... It is based on the petition of mm. concern, according to what von der Leyen said yesterday. But does that mean it will always need cross-community votes um, and so I think I'm, I'm, I'm not sure because I, I'm not sure that the DUP read it like that, that it requires cross-community support. Okay, the DUP have uh, been vindicated to uh, a large degree a very, very much so uh, there's changes to the Northern Ireland Protocol which will mean under this Windsor framework uh, that there'll be no difference in terms of what food is available in Northern Ireland and the food that's available in the UK. The same with medicines, parcels, pets, plants and VAT and excise will be set at the same rates. Yes, there's been considerable, uh, you could call it climb down, you could call it change from the EU's initial more hardline um, view on the goods that were travelling between Britain and Northern Ireland. I mean, now we're going to see these green lanes and red lanes. We've heard a lot about them over the last couple of months, really. But a green lane ultimately would mean, as I see it, very few checks on goods coming from Britain into Northern Ireland that are not going out of the region. They're not coming into Ireland. They're not going into the EU. Um, There'll be this trusted traders uh, situation where 
data will be uploaded and I think the British uh, are going to play, or the UK government at least is going to play a larger role in ensuring that flow of data is readily available to the EU and that it will be very clear if goods are coming from Britain into Northern Ireland and they're staying there, there'll be very little few checks on them but if goods are coming into the Republic of Ireland, into the EU single market then there will have to be checks. Then there there are VAT changes um, so, again, it's a bit convoluted, but, mm. I mean, I think the VAT changes will suit traders in Northern Ireland. And as you say, of course, there'll be a free flow of medicines, any medicines that can be sold in pharmacies or hospitals in in Britain will also be available in Northern Ireland. Now, the, the EU had already made changes in that respect, but I think definitely... I think these new changes will, should make it much easier for goods to flow freely between Britain and Northern Ireland. Um, And the collection of data, given there's a new data agreement, that should be easier for them as well. So I would have thought a lot of the problems that traders were um, experiencing should be hopefully alleviated for them now and that traders in Northern Ireland will also benefit from being able to still trade with the EU and the single market. Okay, the problem may lie in the red lines in terms of this deal being accepted or not being accepted by the DUP uh, because there may never be any trade disputes uh, that uh, prove uh, so problematic that it would have to go to the European Court of Justice but that will be the ultimate arbiter as Ursula von der Leyen explained yesterday Uh, and it is Really, the matter of principle, isn't it, uh, Karen, that uh, part of Northern Ireland comes under European jurisdiction, uh, whereas that doesn't apply at all to the rest of the UK? Yeah, and I mean, this, this was one of the you know, central issues for the EU. And we were hearing you know, for quite considerable time, the EU wasn't going to back down on the role of the European Court of Justice because it's an integral part of EU legislation and the laws that apply, especially in, you know, the likes of trading in goods and if there are disputes, the ECJ is, as, as von der Leyen said yesterday, it's the sole arbiter. It is, it is the ultimate um, jurisdiction for the EU uh, disputes. And so um, that's why I, I think they knew that they couldn't not include the role of the ECJ, and but it would ultimately be, you know, the court of last resort, as it is, as it usually is. I mean, if things end up in the European Court of Justice, it's because they've gone through all the legal processes in each of the EU member states or in the relevant EU member state. So I think we knew that was that was going to be a red line for the EU. They weren't going to remove it, which is why they've come up with this stormant break. Um, and that ultimately, you know, there's talk about making sure there there are um, there's there are discussions with the communities in Northern Ireland if they have concerns. All that process of discussion um, and and looking examination of what their problems are, collaboration, mm. cooperation, all of that will be involved before any kind of storm and break perhaps could be applied. I mean, she said as well about the storm and break, it really would be a last, or at least it's in the text of the Commission statements, it would be, um, you know, used as, as a mechanism of last 
resort. That's the last thing they would want. There would be many avenues that would be pursued before that would be applied. Okay. In terms of uh, the sweetness and light uh, that uh, shone yesterday as part of uh, these negotiations, the British government has promised to drop the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, which would have uh, given it uh, uh, the entitlement to, to scrap the whole thing and call the whole thing off. And the EU has agreed to drop legal actions against uh, the UK. Uh, but there's a number of scenarios that we're looking into at this stage, as I understand it. The DUP could either decide to accept this now and take uh, their seats up in Stormont immediately, uh, or uh, they could reject uh, the Windsor uh, framework agreement altogether. Uh, otherwise, uh, there's the prospect of them waiting until the summer and after the local elections when they may decide to uh, endorse the agreement then. Or there's a- another possibility, which is that they could go into opposition in Stormont. <laughs> there, are, there are a number of different scenarios. I, I mean, I think when you talk about, we'll say that the choreography or refer to, you know, the, the, the lovely light touch yesterday, the mood was certainly great. The pictures of Sunak and von der Leyen meeting, shaking hands, the, you know, the, the smiles, the sense of congratulations, the unbelievable reaction, Michael, from the British press. I mean, you have, you know, Eurosceptic papers like the Daily Mail and then the tele- the Telegraph today has, has been describing yesterday as possibly the best day of Rishi Sunak's time as Prime Minister so far and major congratulations for what has been achieved. I mean, there's a lot of support from, um, uh, you know, certain parts of British society that you thought would reject this. So if the DUP continue to come out against it, it will, it will really... I think, isolate them. It will make them look like a bunch of people who won't be happy with anything and and that, you know, things have to move on. Legislation has to be put in place in Northern Ireland. The Assembly has to get up and running and they would never be pleased with absolutely everything. So I think they're going to look bad if if they're the only ones at the end of the day, apart from maybe a few hardcore Eurosceptic Brexiteers um, in the House of Commons who are against this. So... This is, I think, will be part of the process of examining this legal text, but also looking at where they want to be. Do they want to be caught in a time warp where they're just objecting to anything or do they just, you know, accept that this is the final framework agreement and they have to move on with it? And it'll be very interesting to see that evolution or otherwise over the next couple of weeks. But I mean, I have to say I was I was blown away by you know, the choreography yesterday and then the reaction by the British press. And Sunak has played a blinder, I think, you know, he and he's using language of the Brexiteers saying, you know, we've got Brexit done or, or, or words mm. to that effect. Um, I thought he, he really has achieved what, and I, I didn't realise except for your clip when you were describing the clip, he's the fifth Prime Minister to oversee mm. uh, this since since the Brexit vote in, in or since the deal was the deal was signed or the Brexit vote, whichever one anyway. Yeah, since but it I was signed, David Cameron would have been the first of those five. That's right. Yeah. Since it was signed, mm. yeah, which is incredible. But I, I mean, I think he has achieved a major breakthrough. 
And I don't see the Commission or the EU really revisiting this. As far as they're concerned, this is it. There are other things to get on with, as von der Leyen referred to yesterday. Major concerns with the Ukraine war. I mean, you know, the, and the implications globally if China gets involved in this climate change. There are so many other things that we need to be concentrating on the world in general, the European Union, um, and that this has now been resolved. And I think if the EU dig, or the DUP at least dig their heels in and refuse to accept it, you know, I think they'll just find themselves in a polarised position. Let's hope that they don't, that they, they mm-hmm. accept it and, and we can move on with this and okay. that people in Northern Ireland can enjoy the benefits of being able to still trade with the EU single market and enjoy trade with the rest of uh, the UK. Karen, thank you very much indeed for that analysis and for joining us on the programme today. Karen Coleman, editor with EU News Radio, which covers EU news for Irish radio stations. Michael Reed on LMFM. Sheep farmers are being asked to participate in an ICSA protest that will take place outside of Leinster House today. Let's speak to Sean McNamara, who is uh, the sheep chairman for the ICSA. That's the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association. Good morning to you, Sean, and thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. Uh, you're asking uh, that sheep farmers would be treated like other farmers uh, and uh, 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 measures would be taken in the same way that they were taken for pig farmers, beef farmers and indeed the dairy sector. That's right, we're looking for an emergency package for sheep farmers. We're talking about 50 million out of Brexit funds. Uh, we need the emergency package. We have to get an emergency package. Just as simple as that, uh, sheep, farmer is, sheep farming is a long available and in order for sheep farmers to survive, we need this package. Okay, why is that the case? Well, uh, we're taking... At least one fifty a kilo less for lambs or harvest with the this this time last year was equates to thirty euros a lamb less. Our meal bill is gonna buy a third, all our expenses is gonna buy a third. So and actually in fact, um we're losing at least thirty euros for lamb. Okay. Uh, but more sheep are being slaughtered, aren't they? The CSO yeah. reporting yesterday that ten point eight percent more sheep were slaughtered this year than in the same period last year. Yeah, but the reason for the more sheep being slaughtered is there's more sheep coming into the country. Uh, there's that ten point eight percent more sheep coming into the country than coming in last year. Uh, for Northern Ireland and in Cardiff and England and that's where the figures are coming up with that And is it that importation of livestock uh, that is putting pressure on prices? It's driving down the price of Irish lambs simply as that like uh, this year lambs going in Cardiff from, uh, like from the 1st of January uh, 2022 to the 1st of November uh, 2022 to give 508,000 lambs between live and Cardiff Farm. Okay, well, you met with the Minister in the last couple of weeks, did you not? We met with the Minister. Well, we met with the Chief Vision Group. Uh, we're not happy what came out of it. Um, the, one, the head one out of the department told us that we got a 20% increase in the Chief Welfare Scheme. We should be happy enough with that two years for that. Now, such an insulting Chief Farmer I never heard. Mm-hmm. What is it you're looking for? Uh, we're looking for... Uh, uh, probably thirty or we're looking for thirty five years uh, sheep premium you paid, and that means thirty years of a sheep welfare scheme, and then we want five years on top of 
for the presentation of the world, as you know, a lot of people are double the world and there's not been done what it's worth and there's not been done, but we want to see the world being used and that and it gives our five percent five viewers for better presentation of the world. Okay. Is sheep farming is sheep farming viable as it stands, do you think? Uh, sheep farmers are no longer viable. It's, it's, it's on the point of no return and as it's uh, about like these young people like there's not there for anyone. Everyone is losing money. Uh people you just can't survive it. It's going to be a serious welfare uh, problem in the springtime with cheap lamb and everything. Men are not able to buy meat or cheap and so on because it's so popular and that's the biggest problem. All right, so in line with today's protest, you're asking farmers to hold back lambs from the factories. Yes, I'm asking farmers to hold back lambs from the factories today uh, just for a day as a word of warning to factories that we're not going to take what they're at. Like, we're not going to continue taking the way they're top of the price. And we're not going to allow it to happen. You know, we're, going to, we're going to take a further step of the factories. And this is only the first of many. Like I says, if needs be, we'll be calling uh, random uh, stops every so often the factories. Mm-hmm. I was stop getting So we're prepared to take actual factories. Okay, so you could stop selling your livestock yeah well we could call this like you know yourself we call this up for the day but yeah. we could come along next week and we call it differently and so on okay you know okay so that's a pretty desperate situation it is yeah well we had to do we had to take that but just that situation because the whole thing was going to happen so uh, I want to see sheep surviving I want to see sheep surviving in rural Ireland that's right and uh, unless we get a viable income for sheep farmers we're all in trouble Okay. Uh, as things stand, uh, that last meeting that you had with uh, the Sheep Vision Group, uh, that was the end of the matter from the government's perspective in, in terms of this appeal to provide support for the sector, was it? Yes, it was the end of the matter. They told us as much as we're making money nearly um, and got this extra two euros, we should be happy with it. That's, that's, that's the way they brought it out. Um, and uh, uh, we had to listen to a speech from Board Bia, uh, charges, uh, the man over the party and the department. We listened to speeches for about three hours, and we got to talk for about 15 minutes at the end of it, and that was it. Okay. So we were not happy with We came out very disillusioned with all that. Right. So you're asking people to meet with you, um, farmers to meet with you today, at 12 noon in Dublin, at yeah. all, Aaron, and at the Department of Agriculture. That's right, yes. Just we're meeting the travel that day. We hope that we will go out there and uh, put our point across to the minister and all the different ministers, different parties. And uh, we're hoping to come out to us and we put our point across to them on that day. We, we are not going to stop uh, as an organization until we get a package for sheep farmers, bottom of the line. And we'll, we will also want to see a viable living for all sheep farmers as well. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment, Sean. Thank you indeed for joining You're us this morning. Welcome. Thanks for Thank you indeed. That protest taking place at 12 noon today at Leinster House, as you've been hearing. That's uh, Sean McNamara, the ICSA's sheep chairman. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. There's a a lot of support uh, for uh, this new deal that replaces uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol, the Windsor Framework. And as Karen Coleman was saying, if uh, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak can bring the uh, A or G group and the hardline Brexiteers with him over this, it will isolate the DUP to some extent. I don't think we're going to get the definitive position of uh, the DUP 
DUP for some time to come but as Karen was saying they could end up being a lone voice uh, and seen as being obstructionist. You are welcome to comment on this or anything else as usual on the programme today. Our telephone number is 041-983-2000 that's 041-983-2000 text or WhatsApp 0861800658 0861800658 as I say that's the number to text or WhatsApp a message to or email Michael at lmfm.ie Now a definitive position uh, that uh, the DUP takes uh, will be known in time. Uh, We'll probably get some insight into that a little bit later on in the programme because we'll be speaking to a former DUP MLA well known to listeners of this programme Jim Wells in the second hour of uh, the programme today but uh, there were some people uh, MPs members of the DUP who have already said that they're very cautious if not cynical uh, about what is being proposed and we'll hear some of uh, the things that the DUP MPs had to say to the House of Commons yesterday now. Ultimately my party will now assess all these proposed outcomes and arrangements against our seven tests outlined in our 2022 Assembly Election Manifesto to determine whether what has been published meets those tests and whether it respects and restores Northern Ireland's place within the United Kingdom. And in this regard, and finally, Mr Speaker, I agree with the Prime Minister that the issue of sovereignty is crucial. Article 6 of the Act of Union, the very basis of the Union itself, the economic union of the United Kingdom, was seriously undermined by the Northern Ireland Protocol and its implementation. And that needs to be resolved. I welcome the 18-minute confession which the Prime Minister undertook about the damage which the Protocol, which his government signed, has done to Northern Ireland. But could I remind the Prime Minister that although he talks about 1,700 pages of EU law being removed from Northern Ireland, hundreds of thousands of pages will still remain. Border posts are still being planned to be built. And the Prime Minister has admitted that future EU laws will apply to Northern Ireland unless, under paragraph 52, his government decides not to proceed with law changes in, uh, for the United Kingdom as a whole, or he vetoes EU proposals in the Joint Committee. Can he understand why we don't have confidence in that, uh-huh. and why we still fear that the, our position within the United Kingdom is not going to be restored by this agreement? The Prime Minister has quite rightly indicated that trade is so important to all of our United Kingdom. In paragraph 47 of the paper, it indicates in particular with regards to veterinary medicines for our animals. Our agri-food sector is huge. It feeds multiples of millions of people here in GB. Yet it says that half of all product lines are at risk. And as part of this agreement, we have put in place a grace period arrangement that will expire in less than a year and a half. Prime Minister, that is utterly useless for our agricultural sector. That will actually make it more difficult for our farm businesses. Our livestock too, if we move it from County Antrim to Ayrshire, we would have to leave our livestock there if it wasn't sold in the marts in Ayrshire for at least six months. That has not been addressed. If, if the Prime Minister were to move cattle from Yorkshire to Lancashire and was told that we'd have to stay in Lancashire for six months, he would be not amused by that 
Our farmers are not amused in Northern Ireland. It is our single largest trade. Will these issues be fixed, or is this a failed process already? Uh, Prime Minister, when you were at the uh, press conference uh, with um, Madame von der Leyen uh, this <coughs> afternoon, you indicated that we all collectively share an ambition to avoid a hard border, and that's why there's a rule for EU law in Northern Ireland. This is the umpteenth time this mistake has been made by successive Prime Ministers. There won't be any possibility of a so-called hard border, not because of Mark 1 of the protocol or Mark 2 of the protocol, but because of the 300-mile land border that has over 280 crossing points, making a hard border an impossibility. Does he agree with me what I told him last week? that just as years ago the representatives of nationalism in Northern Ireland needed to be content with governance arrangements in Northern Ireland, that equally now the representatives of unionism has to be content with governance arrangements going forward. I want to just ask Prime Minister, in relation to uh, what we call the green and red lanes, I, have a, I, I enter a country and I always see a border and at a border you will have green and red lanes. I still have the perception that I'm at a border, irrespective of what I see, because I'm being told that there are green and red lanes. That does cause concern. Much has been spoken in this House already of the storm of break and the power that it has. Can the uh, Prime Minister confirm that the storm of break has the ability to not only end dynamic alignment of EU law, but gives unionists or anyone else the opportunity to meaningfully impact whether the legislation applies in Northern Ireland? Prime Minister. Uh, uh, Madam Deputy Speaker, that is exactly the point of the storm on break. It's based on the petition of concern mechanism, a Good Friday uh, Agreement institution. It requires 30 MLAs from two parties. Uh, and if it is triggered, then that provides the UK government with a veto over that particular law. All right, that's the Prime Minister responding uh, there to Carla Lockhart, uh, possibly answering that question that Karen Coleman had earlier on. 30 uh, MLAs uh, from uh, each side, uh, nationalists and unionists, uh, needed to uh, invoke uh, that uh, stormant block. Uh, but uh, there are just some of uh, the DUP voices uh, that were heard in the House of Commons yesterday. You were listening to Geoffrey Donaldson, Sammy Wilson, Ian Paisley Jr., Gregory Campbell, Paul Girvin, and as mentioned, Carla Lockhart. Thanks to John, who's been on the phone to us uh, this morning. John says he's delighted to think that they finally managed to secure uh, a deal on the North. They've been dragging their heels on this for far too long and using it as a political focus. Football. It's too important an issue to be messing around with. Now we just need the DUP to cop themselves on and give the plan their backing for everyone's sake. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, a different John then in touch saying that the death penalty should be brought back for anyone who assaults, assaults or injures a member of Angarda Siakana or the emergency services. Also for those who commit some of uh, the horrific drug-related crimes we see in the media on a daily basis. The problem at the moment is uh, there is not enough of a deterrent to stop people committing these type of crimes. If the death penalty was back on the table, it might make some of these thugs think twice. Strong thoughts there, John. Thank you indeed. It's a while since...
since uh, we've had a call for a return of the death penalty. Thanks to anybody who's been in touch with us so far today. Our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Minister for Justice, Simon Harris, is promising tougher sentencing for people who assault Gardaí or members of frontline emergency services. Let's speak to Tara McManus, who's uh, the Assistant General Secretary of the GRA, that's the Garda Representative Association. Good morning to you, Tara, and thanks for joining us on the programme today. I know the GRA, as well as the AGSI, met with Minister Harris yesterday afternoon. What did he have to say to you? Good morning, Michael. Um, so, look, we have been looking for this meeting with the Minister for quite some time. Um, so there were a number of issues that we um, discussed with him and uh, we felt in general it was quite a productive and an engaging meeting. Um, he certainly listened to our concerns, he listened to our issues um, and I suppose we walked away with an understanding that there will be more frequent engagement with the Minister. Uh, one of the A number of the issues that we discussed, uh, one of the first ones was rosters. Uh, your listeners may be aware there's been an ongoing issue with rosters and, and, and the guard hours and how they work for a number of years and this wasn't helped um, by COVID but uh, we currently find ourselves I suppose at an impasse with regards uh, with ourselves and the Garda Commissioner uh, with regards to rosters uh, so we, we spoke about that we, we spoke about our disappointment that um, the Commissioner had moved um, the dispute into into the Workplace Relations Commission uh, and I think it was fair to acknowledge that the, the Minister, he showed a very meaningful understanding of the complexities of the recent negotiations on developments and, and where they're going to go from there we also spoke about recruitment and retention uh, and I was speaking to, to Ken last week about this as well. I mean, this continues to be a, a major issue for the GRA and for all our members is recruitment and retention. Uh, we don't have enough guards on the street um, and again, the scenes from Ballyfermot last week would, would just go to, to clarify that. Uh, we did speak about recruitment. Uh, the Minister has assured us that the promised target of a 1,000 new recruits for 2023 will be achieved. We're dubious that that will happen uh, based on our own calculations and the numbers that went into the Garda College last week. 136 new trainees went into the Garda College last Monday. Mm. By last Thursday, even that had reduced down to 132. Um, with that sort of numbers, you're not going to hit 1,000. With all the best will in the world, you're not going to hit 1,000. But look, at, uh, we welcome any new Garda trainees. That mm. Well, 1,000 was, was promised last year as well. And uh, I think uh, uh, there were, what, 20 or 30 guards actually recruited? 25 graduated or 24 graduated in January. Um, Yeah, look, the last three years, whatever promises have been made by the government have fallen well short. So we would be dubious that the 1,000 would be met. Mm. Now, look, we would be delighted to have Mm. them. There was a lot of of asks there and uh, we'll talk uh, uh, about assaults on Gardaí and respect or disrespect for Gardaí these days uh, in a moment. Uh, But uh, was the minister in listening mode or or did he respond in any way tangible to those demands? He was very much in in listening mode and he very much listened to what we we talked about. Uh, In relation to retention, I talked about the fact that in, in the last number of weeks I have been doing exit interviews with some of the members who have resigned in the last year and he was quite surprised to find that the reason these members are resigning it's it's very little to do with pay it certainly is an issue but it's not the main issue the main issue is stress feeling under-resourced feeling overworked um, some of these people are talking about having developed severe PTSD some of them are talking about being suicidal 
Um, and he really listened to that. And I think he was quite taken aback um, that these are the reasons that people are leaving. Um, and, I, and I spoke to him about these people and, you know, the frustration mm. and the upset that they're feeling. So there was um, a, a real, I suppose, sense of sympathy and empathy towards those members and, you know, a, a general feeling that that's not acceptable and that it's not right that members of our frontline services, our emergency workers, our guards are feeling this unsafe mm. and this unsatisfied. I, in I, I think it's true to say, and I'd be surprised if you didn't agree with me, that the vast majority of uh, people in this country not only have huge respect uh, for Angarda Shia Khanna, but also really uh, appreciate and support the work that members do. There is a, a minority, obviously, that don't. Uh, but do you think that that figure has increased and that the level of disrespect for members of Gardaí has increased by those who become aggressive? I don't think so. I mean, if we look at some of the public attitude surveys, I mean, year on year, um, we always score as one of the highest group of workers within the state for for public satisfaction in the work that they do, mm. in the work that we do, sorry. Um, like those scenes that we saw in Ballyfermot last week, we're well aware that is such a small minority people. And, and I spoke to Ken last week about the fact that I actually was a guard in Ballyfermot myself for a number of years, and I never would have encountered anything like those mm. scenes last week. They're very rare. And that's they're what I mean. It's, uh, although they're isolated, uh, it's, it, there's something new about it, is there? There's something new, I think, about the whole social media phenomenon that goes with them. And we will be very concerned about the fact that these images appear on social media and we feel that maybe they're feeding into into society and people are... When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Starting to think, well, this is okay and this is normal because I saw it on Facebook or it was sent to me in a WhatsApp message and that maybe it encourages other copycat attacks to happen. So we would be concerned about that. And look, it brings us to another area that myself and yourself have spoken about before, which is the whole idea of body cams. And again, if the Gardaí had access to our own footage at these type of incidents, you know, it would better protect us, it would better protect the public rather than relying on somebody standing at the side video on this and thinking that it's, it's great mm. crack. Okay, 285 Gardaí uh, assaulted last year, an increase of 17% uh, from the 243 Gardaí who assaulted the year previous. Uh, but they are still relatively small figures, aren't they? Well, they're not really when you look at um, across other other workers. I mean, we, we okay. have a rate of 40, between 40 and 50% of incidents that happen at work are related to assault. That's about 3% across other sectors. So it's actually, it's not. But those 285 that you spoke about, Mm. they're serious assaults. They're ones that include 
head injuries, dislocations, open wounds, bone fractures, mm. bites. It doesn't refer to the gardening. No, and I don't mean to downplay no. the seriousness of it at all, uh, and uh, I hope it didn't sound like that. Uh, but uh, as you say, each one of them very, very serious uh, assaults and what to be done about it. And uh, a deterrent, uh, I think, is probably what you and your members would like to see put it in place. If people believe they can do that and get away with it, then the probability is that they will do it, uh, and they probably will get away with it. Uh, the Minister's talking about a uh, 12-year sentence uh, for people uh, guilty of serious assault uh, I'm not sure if it, uh, many people would agree with John who was in touch with us earlier on saying bring back the death penalty for anybody who assaults members of uh, the Gardaí uh, but uh, minimum sentencing is that the sort of uh, road you'd like to see the Minister take? Yeah we did discuss this with him yesterday that we would have liked to see a, an approach where minimum sentencing is the issue rather than maximum sentencing but look we haven't seen that legislation obviously it's only in its draft stage so until we have a better look at how that legislation is going to work um, it's kind of hard for us to kind of comment on it however what we will say is we're delighted that it's finally there we're delighted that there is um, a recognition that the offence of ramming a guard a vehicle is different to endangerment or it's different to something else that there will, will be a specific offence of ramming a guard a vehicle because obviously when you ram a guard a vehicle apart from the damage that you cause that vehicle it's out of action and you're, you're depriving the guard then of the equipment that they need to properly do their job so look we completely mm. welcome any legislation that seeks to look at that um, and we would be hoping it would be more specific in relation to an assault on, on a guard a member and that there would be different levels of assault you know for, for members of the public you currently have section 2 section 3 section 4 assaults we would be hoping that those specifications would be actually applied to members of Angarda Sheikon as well mm-hmm. okay. so there will be a difference between a guard getting a slap and a difference between a guard actually having a, a, bone, a bone broken Yeah and I think anybody who rams a car whether it's a guard a car or anybody else's car obviously runs the risk of killing the other person and uh, it could be looked on as uh, attempted murder uh, because it is such a serious thing to drive a motor vehicle at somebody else uh, but when it comes to the sentencing should there be any mitigating factors I mean let's say the Minister goes ahead with uh, a 12 year minimum sentence uh, should that uh, apply to somebody who has mental health problems? Well, I think it's, he's looking at, at a maximum sentence of 12 years as opposed to a minimum sentence of 12 years um, so look there would be issues for, for the for the jurisdiction for the, for the courts and obviously at that stage we don't have any say in, in, in what happens but um you know that would be a matter for the court to decide, but it's, it's the minimum sentence we'd be looking at. The maximum he has he has suggested is twelve years for such assaults. So the minimum we would be hoping would be between six and twelve months for for what would be deemed a minor assault. Okay, all right. Well, you're pleased with uh, how that part of uh, the conversation went with the minister. I take it. Yeah, well, you we're pleased enough. Look, at, um, we're never going to walk away rubbing our hands saying that went fantastic. Um, look, that, that we're always going to be looking for more issues. You know, we spoke to him about suspensions. A number of our members are currently out on lengthy suspensions and those issues haven't been moved on. They haven't been accelerated. You know, we impressed upon him that, you know, that needs to be looked at. And the idea that a member would be suspended for, you know, two to three years uh, and nothing being done and receiving no correspondence from Garda management on where their case is, that would seem to be very unfair, particularly the majority of those members would be well able to continue to work, perhaps not in, in a front-facing capacity dealing with members of the public, but they would still be in a position to contribute. These members are out suspended on full pay, so they're not contributing, contributing at all. So we would argue that these members could be brought back and could be allowed to work with us. Um, we also discussed pensions. 
look, that's a very complicated issue and it's certainly not one I'm going to pretend to be fully affair with. But he did uh, promise that he would uh, liaise with the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform with regards to that. There is an issue there across all public sector pensions that are post-95 and post-2013. So again, a detailed discussion for another day, but he has promised that he will liaise with uh, that department on our behalf on that one. Okay, Tara, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Tara McMahon is Assistant General Secretary of uh, the GRA. Some uh, comments coming to us. Uh, we would a text uh, from James who says there should be speed cameras set up in Scarlet Street in Drogheda, where obviously he feels uh, there's a problem. Betty says Michael Ian Paisley will never be dead as long as Geoffrey Donaldson is uh, the drum major for the DUP. Thanks uh, for that, Betty. Uh, Paul in Kells says, uh, Michael, are you sure there's really been uh, five British Prime Ministers since uh, the Brexit referendum? Uh, I can only remember four. OK, Paul. Um, I think I can guess the four that you can remember, uh, and I'll, t- I'll tell you four and see if they... Uh, are in line with the four that you can remember and then I'll ask you or anybody else listening if they can remember who the fifth is. Now David Cameron being the first of them uh, who was the Prime Minister when the referendum was held and he resigned then pretty much immediately afterwards he was followed by Theresa May then Boris Johnson and today Rishi Sunak is uh, the Prime Minister. There's one name missing since 2016 Uh, I don't know if uh, you can remember uh, but that's uh, I suppose our pub quiz for today. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's speak uh, to former DUP MLA Jim Wells, who's on uh, the line. And a very good morning to you, and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. You were obviously uh, opposed to the Northern Ireland Protocol. What do you make of the Windsor framework? I'm afraid it's tinkering at the edges. It hasn't dealt with the fundamental issues, and I can't see how any unionist can accept it. Right. Um, the DUP leader, Geoffrey Donaldson, has said that there's a lot of good in it, uh, but uh, he'll need his legal uh, team to look at it and time to contemplate it. Can you understand why he's taken that position? Oh, absolutely. I think that's the right position. But as the legal experts have dug into the detail, and we've been doing some of that this morning, Many, many issues arise. The active union seems to have been set aside. We're still a member of the single, single market. And the crucial storm and break is meaningless because all the storm and break is is the ability of the Northern Ireland Assembly to ask the British government uh, to, to uh, re-examine a particular EU rule. It doesn't give us the power to veto anything. No, nothing. And so apart from asking the British government, before you even get to that point, the DUP, if you like, would have to go and ask Sinn Féin for support in going to the British government. Well, yes, and that's a fun- fundamental weakness. The question I always ask is, would Donegal accept any of this? Would an integral part of the Irish Republic accept being remaining in a different institution in Europe than the rest of the country? And would it accept the continuation, and there is still the continuation, of checks of goods and set coming into uh, Northern Ireland from the rest of GB? From, from GB. The fact is that there's green lanes and mm. red lanes, yeah. but we, we still have to provide information to you about every element of trade coming into Northern Ireland, regardless of whether it's green or red. And it's the European Court of Justice that will be the ultimate arbiter when it comes uh, to trade disputes under European law in those red lanes. Correct. I mean, you you, you, you said it better than I could. 
the reality is that whilst there has been some movement and there will be less hassle and particularly for instance to market gardeners and to seed potato importers mm. the reality is constitutionally we haven't changed one iota we are still in the single market and the rest of the United Kingdom isn't and that's absolutely crucial but realistically so, you know, will the ECJ ever have to get involved? well we, we, we don't know but the reality is we would be the only part of the United Kingdom subject to its rules. So it's a matter of principle. It is very important principle. Again, I keep asking the question, would Donegal accept this? Of course they wouldn't, because it would be uh, undermining its part of a sovereign Republic of Ireland. So why should we in Northern Ireland do, do this? Particularly when all of this is about the 6% of trade that comes from GB into Northern Ireland and moves into the Irish Republic. 6%. But what about all of the benefits that come with it? Well, I'm struggling. I really am struggling because, you know, at the end of the day, this is not about seed potatoes or oak trees. This is about our constitutional position. Mm. Now, the the more that we align ourselves with the Irish Republic in the single market, the more that we gradually phase out of the UK and into some form of all-Ireland market and that makes me extremely worried. But uh, businesses, businesses welcome it, don't they? Uh, and uh, uh, they see the benefits of, of uh, being in the single market. Yes, I mean, there's much more to life than simply trade. The reality is, once you agree that ultimate power rests with Europe, and not with Stormont, mm. and not with Westminster, then you're going down a very slippery slope, which in the long term, will be to the detriment of our trading status as part of the United Kingdom. Ultimate power will lie with Europe, but most likely will never be invoked. There's all the benefits that there are for trade as businesses are welcoming this deal. Uh, It seems like minor detail to get stuck on. No, no, when you dig a bit deeper and realise that the constitutional problems that this causes and that the courts have said that this protocol usurps the Act of Union, the very basis on which Northern Ireland has been created as an integral part of the United Kingdom, that that is so dangerous that 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 supersedes any trading matters. And again, remember, we're talking about 6% of the trade here. 6%. There was uh, some concern expressed in Westminster um, yesterday from Sammy Wilson, uh, from Ian Paisley Jr., from Gregory Campbell uh, in particular. Uh, Do you think that the DUP has had one uh, on this? I mean, you'd obviously have very good insight into the workings of the DUP and uh, how uh, people are looking at at this deal now. Do you think that uh, the DUP will come with a position that uh, it's united on? I think um, eventually, well, I think Jeffrey's right. It is a complex document. It has to be considered in great detail. And I know that there are very clever individuals who are trawling through it as we speak. But I think the initial reaction of Gregory and Sammy and Nigel and others would indicate that already the, the fundamental flaws in this agreement are beginning to become very evident. So I, I think, quite. <coughs> We wish we weren't in this position. I think as the party gradually thinks through the detail, they will realise that this has not gone far enough. It is nowhere near what we need. And ultimately, it wouldn't matter if every turnip and every spud 
and every oak tree was flowing back and forwards. At the end of the day, if the price for that mm. is a fundamental undermining our position within the United Kingdom, it can't run. And I keep saying, would Dunning all accept it? No, they wouldn't. Okay, so what are the next steps? You don't believe, I gather from what you've said, that the DUP will say yay or nay uh, in uh, the coming days. Uh, Would you expect them to outline their position after the local elections? No, I think they will outline their position well before that. The local elections are in mid-May. I think we're back to further negotiations here on this issue. Uh, We need to see what potential legislation that Westminster are going to draft in order to implement uh, this, what's called the Winter Framework. And we need to see what uh, amendments can be made to it. I'm afraid this issue will drag on and on and on. It'll it'll bore many of your listeners, I Mm. I assure you. But at the end of the day, this is utterly fundamental to our very existence as part of the UK. And unionists would be mad to sign up to any agreement which they believe fundamentally undermines that. Okay. If the agreement is unacceptable, uh, is it possible to take up seats at instalment? No. I mean, that's absolutely certain. The reality is that we have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to use the leverage that we hold in order to get this major, major issue settled. The minute that we move back into instalment, then that leverage has gone and will be ignored. So therefore, no, I don't see any prospect of Stormont returning in the immediate future. And can I tell you on the ground here, Mike, that there's, Michael, there is no pressure from the unionist community on the DUP or any other unionist party to go back in until this issue is resolved. It's been remarkable the unanimity amongst grassroots unionists on this issue because they can see past the seed potatoes on the trees and realise that if we get this wrong, we are inexorably on the slippery slope to some form of assimilation with the Irish Republic. And we just don't want that. Okay, that pressure, though, will intensify from people outside of uh, the DUP camp, uh, from the other political parties, uh, and probably all of uh, the other political parties in Northern Ireland, from the Irish government and from uh, the British government. I imagine that's inevitable. Absolutely inevitable. There'll be huge pressure placed upon us. Uh, but remember, this is pressure placed upon us by those who thought the original protocol to deal with the best things in sliced bread, when even they know that but it was fundamentally flawed. So therefore, you know, if, if that was flawed, this is equally flawed, and we have to move to a situation where Northern Ireland remains integral and linked inextricably to the rest of the United Kingdom, and we're certainly not at the, that stage yet, nowhere near it. Mm. Uh, under that type of pressure, do you think it, it might be plausible to see the DUP take seats in Stormont, uh, but uh, in opposition, uh, 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 without compromising its principles? Well, there's no, there's no provision within the Good Friday Agreement to enable that to happen. You can only form an executive if it has representation of both the, the unionist community and the nationalist community. That's the actual fundamental bedrock of uh, the, the institutions. And that would require either ourselves or the Ulster Unionist Party to, to basically say we're not going to participate in that and let it go ahead. I can't see any unionist agreeing to that. So therefore, you know, mm. we're just going to have to get down to a very long and torrid period of further negotiations. Yeah. And it's not going to be very glamorous or interesting 
but it's absolutely fundamental to our future. Okay, uh, but the UUP could take up the ministries, could they not? I think that's unlikely because then they would face uh, a, a torrent of, of abuse from the unionist electorate. Mm. If they were prepared to go into institutions and therefore implement a process which could lead to our eventual assimilation to the Irish Republic, I, I just can't see that happening. They're already struggling uh, in terms of uh, uh, their their vote share, uh, and I, I don't I don't see that as, as an option. And indeed, all four unionist parties signed up over a year ago to a document which pledged themselves to total opposition to the protocol. That would be a major change if they tore that up. Okay, uh, what if uh, pay was cut altogether for MLAs? Well. You know, Mike, I was a member of the North Ireland Assembly for 28 years, longer than anybody else. And there were many attempts to cut our pay radically. At one stage, we were down to half pay. It didn't make one bit of difference. Um, you know, anybody who's in politics for the money, you know, shouldn't be there. And no unionist was, is going to backtrack simply because they had their pay cut or, in fact, eliminated. Now, that's going to cause difficulties to them in their domestic situation, but... You know, any, any any MLA who backtracked because of his pay, I wouldn't like to be knocking the doors at the following election. Mm, okay. Could it actually be the collapse of Stormont, the collapse of power sharing? I think I think we're certainly in for a period of further stagnation and and Stormont not operating and the institutions not operating. That's unfortunate because I think we'd all like to be back looking after our own affairs at Stormont. But if we get this wrong as unionists, we will be condemned by future generations. He said you had the one opportunity to deal with this, and you backtracked, and you went back into Stormont, you took your salaries, and look where we are now. And I, I, I can't see that happening. Okay, so uh, if we're in the stalemate, and the stalemate continues a, a year from now, uh, under an agreement which I, I imagine will hold anyway uh, between the British government and the European Union, uh, but we just don't have government in Northern Ireland. Uh, how do you think the mood will be then, or in two years, or in three years? Uh, I mean, there are some people who will say, well, that will give very logical arguments for trying to put the whole thing to bed with a border poll. Well, uh, first of all, I, I think a border poll would plunge us into incredible uncertainty. Um, and I don't think we need that at the moment. I'm absolutely confident, of course, we'll win that border poll. So I don't see adding further confusion and instability on on top of a very difficult political situation will help. I think we're down now to a long series of further negotiations on the very obvious flaws in the Windsor framework, which are now becoming apparent. And I, I don't believe we've seen them all yet. There, the DUP have a, a very bright uh, barrister and its team and, and frankly he will be teasing out as we speak the really difficult minutiae of this framework. I think some of it's too clever by half but I do believe that, that the party and unionism generally has got the, the brains as it were to go through this with a fine tooth comb mm. and come up with the flaws because we've been caught with Sunningdale uh, the Anglo-Irish Agreement, the Downing Street mm. Declaration, the Belfast Agreement and what we all have learned from those is that you might, in euphoria, say, oh, these are wonderful. But when you actually dig deeper, 
you realise okay. they have got the seeds of their own destruction. Okay, and you, you could very well be right. Um, but what about the point I made a, a moment ago that the deal will probably hold anyway? The deal between the British government and the European Union. Do you agree that that will most likely be the case, uh, and that the flaws you're talking about will be flaws that relate? to the unionist concerns about Northern Ireland uh, and those flaws will remain in this agreement anyway because the agreement will hold. Well, we were not going to acquiesce to that and it's incumbent upon every unionist to do everything they can to undo the damage. But it's out of your power, is it not? Uh, You know, if the British government with the support of Labour and the rebels um, accepted and so on, uh, I mean, most likely uh, the deal will be ratified by the House of Commons. Yeah, but not with unionist support. No, but uh, does that matter to the in, in terms yeah. of the deal? Uh, and uh, I mean, I don't believe it does. So, so um, w- w- what possibilities have you got to respond to that if the British government continues with this? Well, we were told that the original protocol could not be amended. No doubt, we'll be told that the Windsor framework can't be touched. But with political reality, you know that with further negotiations, changes can be made. And, you know, I, I accept that there's going to be a period of uncertainty. There's no question about it. But we have to deal with this. Uh, this is so fundamental to our very existence that to simply tug our forelocks and say, oh, well, that's OK, it's a done deal, that would be a, a, a negation of all of what unionism stands for. And we don't want to be in this position. We want to just continue on as part of the United Kingdom and to trade normally and not to have the interference uh, from Europe. But... Unfortunately, this is the situation we're in, and it's not glamorous and it's not exciting, but it has to be done. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment, Jim. Good to talk to you, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme once again today. That's uh, former DUP MLA Jim Wells. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, parents listening to us uh, this morning might want to ask themselves, what are your children doing online? Who are they talking to online? And are they safe? They're interesting questions and they're questions that a lot of parents grapple with. Uh, If you are online yourself and you're talking to children, you might be equally interested in our next guest, who's a decoy. Uh, And this is something uh, that is being uh, put in place to find the very many people, it seems, who are talking to children online uh, for inappropriate reasons and putting children at risk. Darcy Solo Decoy is in the UK and she's contacted us for exactly that reason and she's been telling me what a decoy does. Um, so basically a, a decoy is um, someone who um, creates an account you know, on Facebook, social media, etc. of a, um, a child below the age of 16. Um, for instance, my, my child is 12 Um yeah, so we, we, we create a, prof, a profile and just sit sit on Facebook or wherever um, and we wait for people to add us as friends or contact us. Mm. Um, within the first sort of two to three messages, we state our ages, um, you know, and it's it's up to the individual whether they want to um, continue mm. to, with the conversation or not. You know, once mm. they know our age, um, we tell them that where we live and stuff. Um, so yeah, that, that's basically what okay. we do. So, so um, it's a, a false account. Uh, this is an adult uh, 
who is pretending to be a, a child. And why is it you're hoping that people will contact you? What, what is it you're trying to establish? Okay, so basically, um, we are trying to um, pick out the people that think it's okay to speak to children online um, in in a sexual way. Um, People contact us. We tell them directly how old we are. You know, Mm. yes, we're not real, but we could be. Um, If these people think it's okay to speak to children in a sexual way, um, then we... You know, we take action on this. You know, it's it's not okay. It's not okay. Okay. Um, for people to predate on our children, you know. Okay. Uh, uh, is that not like looking for a needle in a haystack? Uh, I mean, if you've created an account and you're waiting for people to contact you, surely there aren't that many adults who would be looking to speak to children they don't know. Uh, you'll be very, very surprised of how many people on the internet there is that want to predate on our children. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a solo decoy, so I, I work by myself and I can wake up in the morning um, and I will have 20 friend requests from random people. Um, I mean, so, some of them, um, you know, are sort of of the age of my decoy, which obviously I, I don't accept because I'm, I'm not there to make friends. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm there to do a job. And, you know, a, a lot of these people will just add you just to you know, just mm. just to talk to you and try and predate on you, you know? My God, right. Uh, so uh, that's every day you'd have uh, that number of requests. So there's uh, obviously quite a, a number of adults. Uh, and I take it what you're trying to do is uh, to lure paedophiles to uh, a meeting uh, at which stage uh, you get the police involved. That's generally what happens in the UK. Yeah, what, what it is, um, every single message they send um, and we send, we do a screenshot of it. Every single photograph they send, we send, we do a screenshot of it. Um, we put it into a file which is called like a Google Drive, which is like an evidence file of all the messages that have been sent, received, etc., Mm. Um, and then we find a, a team in the area where this person is and they go out and they go and speak to this. This it could be a woman, could be a man. Right. Um, then based on that evidence, they call the police and then the police get involved. We handle all the evidence over to the police. Mm. Um, Am I right in thinking there wouldn't be too many women, uh, that it's mainly men that you're dealing with? It's mainly men, right. yeah, to be honest. Um, there, there has been a few a few uh, women in the past. Okay. All right, but the messages uh, that you're receiving, uh, the messages and the photographs are pretty explicit as well. Yes, yes, most certainly, yes. Right. Um, I mean, there's a, a lot of a lot of lot of disgusting pictures that we have to deal with on a daily basis. It is it is disgusting to right. be honest. Uh, and you're contacting us because you want parents in this country to be aware that this is a problem and it's not just a problem in the UK you have evidence of this problem here certainly yes um, I have recently been speaking to a reoffender who's offended in this con- in sorry in the UK um, he has been released on bail in the UK um, he's able to travel over to um, Ireland um, he is now speaking to children um, in the UK, possibly in Ireland, I'm, I'm not sure. In a, in a very sexual way, um, you know, he, mm. he thinks that it's okay for to to speak to children like that. Again, he has gone over to Ireland. Um, he has he's speaking to at least um, five decoys, right? Um, and God knows how many real children. That's unbelievable. Um, 
five five decoys that you know of. This, this I know of, yes. Yeah, so That's he's it, proactively yeah. gone on to the internet, onto Facebook or whatever it is, and sought out young children uh, who happen to be adults posing as young children, these decoys, uh, as you explained to us uh, at the beginning. Of that, uh, and you know five. That's that's hard to believe. It is hard to believe. Um, and it's, you know, I be- also believe that there will be real children that he is talking to. Now, I contacted the police in the UK. Yeah. Um, and told them, obviously, because they, they, they know the history of this, this gentleman, I handed over all my evidence, as, as have the other decoys um, that are talking to him. Um, now, this was six, seven weeks ago this happened, um, and this gentleman, up until the weekend, was still actively online, actively trying to meet these children, mm. actively sending pictures of, of you know his private body parts, asking for pictures of these ch- these children, you know, indecent images of children, not yeah, just but, normal images. This mm. is indecent images of children. A, a very dangerous man and somebody who should uh, certainly not be in touch with children from the way you explain it. And you have a very good relationship, uh, people like yourself, uh, who uh, act as decoys like this with the police in the UK. It's a very different situation in this country. But because this man was in Ireland, you were in touch with the Gardaí here, the police force here. Yes, yes, I was. Yes, I, I contacted the uh, them numerous of times. Um, the last time I contacted them, um, they put the phone down on me. They they wasn't interested in in this one bit, which is very very terrifying because it seems like if you know if if you're in a different country, you know, in, in Ireland, for example, it's kind of brushed under the carpet, you know, and children are children. Children, wherever wherever children live, they need to be protected. They need to be safeguarded from people like this. You know, these these people are creeping into our children's phones on, um, you know, the little games such as you know roadblocks and things like that. But they're creeping into everywhere. Mm. So I would say to any any parent out there, please check your children's devices. Please check and check again, and please put some parental um, limits on there. Limit what what they can see, because you know these these people will ruin your your children's life. Mm. Would it be fair to describe you as a, a vigilante? Uh, I mean, this I think most people would say is police work or the work that police should be doing. Um, no, I, I wouldn't say we're vig- vigilantes at all. No, we we don't. You know, we don't send the first message. We don't lure these people in. You know, we don't we don't do anything. It's all. It's all them. They, they contact us first. Mm. They message us first. They lead the conversation. We we just talk as, as if we are an innocent child, and these people think it's okay. Right. To... Uh, I'm still very taken aback by uh, what you said about uh, the five decoys being contacted by the same man, uh, because if he managed to reach out, if you like, to five children uh, as he thought they were. Uh, God knows how many children, uh, he must be on his phone all the time or on the internet all the time, and God, he probably has spoken to 50, if not 500 children. Exactly. It's, it's absolutely sickening, absolutely sickening, yes. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's 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 more like him out there, um, and we will continue to do what we do until we are told not to. You know, we, we, there is a very, very strong community, especially here in the UK, of people that are dedicated to catching these mm. people that think it's okay to predate on our children. You know, it's not okay, and it's it's not it's certainly not okay in any part of the country, any countries, 
whether it be the UK, Ireland, Scotland, anywhere, you know, even anywhere in the world, it's not okay to abuse our Mm. children. Of course not. And you're convinced that there's more like that man in Ireland now? Of course there is. Yes, of course. And I, I I think some people know, you know, that that the laws are different in Ireland or, you know, the police look at it in a, in a different way. So maybe, you know, that maybe they're moving there to, because they know this, you know, that they think they're untouchable, but they're not untouchable. They will get caught. Well, they will when there's people like you around uh, and uh, there are yeah. many people who are doing this, of course, yeah. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. We, we yeah. won't stop. We won't stop. And yes, the justice system, even in the UK, you know, People don't get um, a long enough sentence for what they do. But the thing that we do is we expose these people. We, we put them, we put their faces, we put them all over social media. So these people are exposed. Okay, well. For what they've done. It's uh, very unpleasant to think of what those people want to do. Uh, it's a very serious warning that hopefully parents uh, will heed uh, to make sure that their children are safe from uh, these characters Uh, and uh, I think a lot of people will be thankful that there are people like yourself Darcy uh, who are acting in the way that you do uh, to bring these people to justice as well. Thank you indeed for contacting us. No problem thank you for talking to me today. Okay, that's uh, Darcy Solo Decoy who was uh, speaking to me yesterday. Now, let me bring you some of uh, the comments uh, that have been coming to us uh, this morning. A lot of people are in touch about the missing Prime Minister, if you like. Uh, one out of five missing on the list that I gave to you earlier on. Uh, somebody asked, I think it was a, a typo, was it Liz Trust? Uh, it certainly wasn't Liz Trust. It, it wasn't uh, Gordon Brown either, as uh, somebody else asked. Gordon Brown was before David Cameron. Um, um, and an awful lot of people in touch to say Liz Truss, uh, who I think was, uh, who spent the shortest amount of time in office of any Prime Minister. Uh, WhatsApp message then from someone who says, if uh, the Windsor Agreement uh, signed over the 26 counties to the DUP, they would still say no, cut them loose. A lot of comments similar to that. Uh, the DUP are stretching this out until the next election, hoping for majority. Cut their pay now, says somebody else. Paddy Duffy then, I don't want to see any executive or any other form of government in the North ever again where the DUP has first or second or 31st minister. They've forfeited the right. Matthew Andrade says the DUP will never be happy. They don't want a Catholic about the place. Somebody else says uh, maybe the Brits will cut off Northern Ireland. Most of them don't even know where it is or that it exists. And Gerard M. Wilkinson says if uh, uh, the DUP will always be on the outside. Uh, sorry, Gerard. He says the DUP will always be on the outside uh, and that's the place for them it'll be uh, the same when they are in a united Ireland uh, we had Leona on the phone then who said she wants uh, to know what Jim Wells uh, thinks about pay uh, she says uh, it's not fair that MLAs uh, aren't doing their job fully not going into government and they continue to receive their wages if she refused to carry out her job or, or go to work in the first place then her wages would be stopped so why is it any different for MLAs thanks to everybody who's 
been in touch with us today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda you're investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Fiona Kerr of Navangarda Station joins us for this week's report. And thank you for taking the time to do it. Uh, we've some property that has been found in Trim and Navan that you're hoping uh, to reunite with uh, the rightful owners. Good morning, Michael. That's correct. So two necklaces have been handed in to Trim Garda Station. They were found in the Derry Patrick area yesterday morning. They're currently being held in Trim. So if you are the owner or know who they belong to, to please contact the Guardian Trim. And a bicycle was found on Friday the 24th in the afternoon in the Abbeyland South area of Navan. Again, if you are the owner or know who it belongs to, to please contact Navan Garda Station. For more information and pictures of the property mentioned here can be found on the Meath Crime Prevention Facebook page. OK, we have a, a traffic collision to report on next in Kells. That's right. Kells Gardaí are investigating a road traffic collision which occurred on Sunday, February the 5th. So this was between 8.30pm and 12 midnight. And a grey Nissan Qashqai was parked on Castle Street in Kells and was struck by another vehicle which failed to remain at the scene. So there was extensive damage caused and anyone who may have witnessed this incident or anyone with any information relating to it is asked to please contact Kells Guard Station or as always the Garda Confidential Line is available to make any report on 1-800-666-111. Okay, you've a stolen bicycle to report on next in Navan. I take it this is uh, different to the one that was uh, discovered in Navan. Yeah, this uh, Navan Guardian are investigating the theft of a black-coloured Carrera Crossfire e-bike and it was taken from the Black Castle Lodge area of Navan between 6pm on Thursday and 6am on Friday morning. So anyone with information about this theft, or even if they know the whereabouts of the bike, to please contact Navan Gardaí. OK, some advice before you conclude this week for motorists. That's right. So the theft of vehicles continues to show a significant increase. Car theft, especially that of second-hand imported cars, is on the rise. So car buyers and owners can take action to decrease the risk of theft of the vehicles. Cars imported from international markets are not automatically manufactured with the same security features as cars manufactured for the European market. So buyers and owners of vehicles should check the security features of imported vehicles and especially check if there's an inbuilt immobiliser and to consider maybe additional uh, security options. So there's more information on this on the Garda website at garda.ie. OK, thank you indeed. Garda Fiona Kerr of Navan Garda Station. Uh, thanks uh, to Margaret, who's been in touch with us uh, this morning. A couple of comments uh, about uh, the agreement. She says, I'm sick of uh, the whining from the DUP about the protocol. They backed Boris with his oven-ready deal and since it was signed, they haven't shut up about it. Uh, they're blaming the EU and our government for what they did along with Boris. So they need to accept what they did. They're like spoiled children children who didn't get their own way. Thanks, Margaret. I think a lot of uh, people would say uh, Boris really sold them out. Uh, but uh, not only that, uh, it may sound like they were whining all this time. They've got a lot of the concessions that they were looking for. Uh, and, you know, they've been vindicated to a large degree for that. Uh, we'd somebody else who says, Michael, can you please tell Mr. Wells, that's uh, Jim Wells, who we were speaking to a, a moment ago, that there's no bigotry in Donegal. So please leave Donegal out of it and admit the only problem is that Michelle O'Neill will become the First Minister if Stormont is 
uh, reinstituted. Thanks uh, for that uh, as well. Uh, on emergency workers and Gardaí being assaulted, Margaret said uh, that emergency workers should be supplied with cameras and Gardaí should also have tasers, pepper spray and whatever else is needed. They're putting their lives on the line to keep us safe uh, and some of uh, the criminals uh, that they're dealing with are vicious thugs who just don't care about or have any respect for the Gardaí or anyone else. If uh, they did, well, it would be a totally different situation and they wouldn't be committing these crimes in the first place. Thanks uh, as well for that, uh, Margaret. Uh, before we leave you today, uh, maybe we'll hear uh, a different uh, opinion on uh, this uh, new uh, framework, uh, the Windsor framework, uh, from the SDLP. Here's what uh, Colm Eastwood, their leader, had to say about it yesterday. Mr Speaker, there's been an awful lot of uh, talk, particularly today and over the recent months, about the concerns of the DUP and the unionist community. It is important to remember that the majority of people in Northern Ireland oppose Brexit and do want to see the benefits of dual market access properly utilised. Will the Prime Minister agree with me that it's important now that his government support that and promote that to international uh, investors? Minister, well, can I thank the Honourable Gentleman uh, for his engagement with the Secretary of State and myself over recent weeks, uh, and he is right. There is a balance to be struck, and the Good Friday Agreement is about respecting that balance, about the aspirations and identities of all communities in Northern Ireland, and that is what we have sought to achieve with the the framework. And as I outlined earlier, something that I and we have heard loud and clear from businesses in Northern Ireland is that they do value their access to the single market. They do value, as all of us do, not having a hard border between the Northern Ireland and the Republic. Uh, and that is something that we have had to bear in mind as we consider these negotiations. But I believe we have struck the right balance and the framework means that this agreement can command the support and consent from communities right across the spectrum in Northern Ireland. And I look forward to working with him and his party to deliver it. The British Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, uh, responding to SDLP leader Colm Eastwood in uh, the House of Commons yesterday. Maggie McGuire, Research Chair Programme today. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am, right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.